Hi, everybody. Several months back, I did an interview with a woman named Sarah Breskman, who is a hypnotist who wrote a book called A Hypnotist's Journey to Atlantis. Well, she was working with a client named Jen, who has an extraordinary ability to go back in time. And in the newest book she's just done with Jen, uh, which is called A Hypnotist's Journey to the Secrets of the Sphinx, that story continues forward into the ET interface of the building of the Sphinx and the secrets continue within. So let's go to Sarah. So welcome, Sarah. So good to have you back. Thank you for having me. Yes, Jen is an incredible subject. And so we started out just picking up right where we left off. And I just let it go to the higher self of Jen. And that's what I always do in a QHHT session. I never lead it. So this information, this whole book was not written by me. First of all, it's important to yes. know. It's a, yes, and it's the same as the last one. So tell us the name of the book. Okay, it's A Hypnotist's Journey to the Secrets of the Sphinx. Yes, okay, very good. So we're going to start out with Jen. Now, Jen had recovered a lot of this information, as I understand, when she discovered her more extraterrestrial roots in a previous lifetime mm-hmm. in 1970. Right. Am I correct on this? Right. That's correct. He brought a tremendous amount through, kind of went nuts, died young, and she's back. So tell us, tell us now just a thumbnail sketch of how that happened moving now into the Sphinx. Right. Well, so we picked up right with that lifetime. We went deeper in and more, we got a lot more detail about that lifetime in the 1970s because she had pulled and recovered all this information with another hypnotist in the 1970s. This hypnotist was named Julie, and they never wrote this important information down. So all this information had been simmering in Jen's unconscious, waiting for the right time for this information to be available to people. And this is the right time. So back in the 1970s, in her past life as a woman named Christy, she uncovered all this information and realized that she had been contacted by extraterrestrials. She's part of like a team, so to speak. And their main mission was to share this information, but people weren't ready for it yet. And so that's why she's back again now with the same mission to uncover and share this information that she wasn't able to uncover before. Because in that other lifetime, she was called crazy, even though Actually, she wasn't. She wasn't called crazy, but they said she was suffering from a condition called female hysteria because (laughs) she was talking about extraterrestrials and past lifetimes, something so common that we talk about nowadays. But back in those days, and it wasn't that long ago in the 1970s, she was actually lobotomized for this and she eventually killed herself. She tried to share this information. And that's why we're really, this is such an amazing time because we can talk about these things without being called crazy. We can share this important information to really help one another. But unfortunately, it was too early for it back then. Understandably, and people were institutionalized for speaking of such things uh, up through that time. So now let's go to the Sphinx. Now, when her story continues, she they're talking about the building of the Sphinx by ETs. Now, let's go ahead into the story that she shares with you during these regressions, okay, Um, about the building of it, 
but more importantly, a bit about what's contained underneath, because that's really what all the speculation is about. And the Egyptian Department of Antiquities has been very slow to allow any exploration there. I can understand why. She started um, talking about all the stuff that Julie and her un- uncovered. And then right away, she saw the Sphinx. And it was so powerful, this memory that she uncovered about how it was built. So she remembered uncovering this information before um, watching over these extraterrestrials building the Sphinx. What had happened was an asteroid crashed into this one rock. And that's where they built the Sphinx on this type of special rock because it could contain and hold history, almost like a time capsule. It keeps the information alive. And this information is broadcast out to other planets. It's like a communication device for other planets so they can keep tabs on our progress on Earth. But it was interesting to learn how they built the Sphinx. They did not need their human bodies when they came to Earth to build the Sphinx because This was very early on when they first colonized the planet. These are extraterrestrials coming to Earth for this first time. And when they colonized this planet, they didn't need human bodies if they weren't interacting with humans. So that is how they built the Sphinx with these laser-like tools. And most of the time was spent um, digging out and creating these large um, tunnels underneath. And miles deep, there's even a labyrinth. But this is where they stored their ancient technology, where they store information. And there's so much that's still a secret under the Sphinx. I'd like to add a a little bit to that. I have to say that um, the group of beings that I associate with, that I'm from, uh, that have given us information for uh, many decades now, um, I'd say about three decades ago, we were asking about this. They too said there is very important information underneath uh, one of the paws of the Sphinx. And they said, the problem is uh, the timing is not correct. This can change the way human beings exist on the planet. I don't know if they meant militarily, health-wise or what, they wouldn't say, but it has very, very potent technology for our future. And until we're ready, that will not be opened, which I found interesting. That is exactly what I got. It's amazing. But yes, I I was told that we as a collective are not ready for this information, because if we were to um, get this information in its full form, we would be fully awakened. It would be too confusing for many people. We would understand history in its true form. And some of the information that's really difficult for people to understand is our true origins, who we really are and why we're here. And we're really extraterrestrials. That's really how we have been, that we have been brought here as humans. We're really an ancient grouping of beings that have traveled from planet to planet to see what the next and the next will bring. And if you really wanna know the secrets of the universe, this is all a game. Gosh, on that game, if you want to look at it on an entertainment level, I swear, I think one of the most interesting uh, series that was ever on was Battlestar Galactica, the new one, the newer one, the newer one still 10, 15 years old. But nonetheless, um, I thought they did a, a beautiful job in showing us human origins. So that's oh, just something cool. someone can play with if they'd like to. But I would also like to validate something else, and that is... 
about the rock itself being a communication device and holding memory. Um, in uh, one of the hermetic um, stories I read was talking about the piece from Easter Island that is um, now living in the British Museum of Natural History Museum in, in London. And I decided to go there. I was in Britain and of course made a beeline for the giant head. I don't know if they call him Maori man. I can't remember the name of the, the head, but there's only one. It's huge. Look it up. British Museum. Um, you go in there and it's standing there, but you're not supposed to touch it. So I waited till the guard had his back turned and I touched <laughs> it because sometimes I get a lot of information at museums from pieces. I touched him and boom, it took no time. It was right there. And I saw him communicating between outside forces and the people that he was actually standing guard for and sending information back and forth to about what was coming their way and what was happening on the outside, outside of their villages. And I was just blown away. It came in very quickly because that's exactly what I saw. It had not only had knowledge, but the ability to communicate in both directions. Wow, that's incredible. And it's so confirming. It's that confirming. That's why I wanted to share it. The guard told me, you get your hands off that right now about five seconds later. So it happened fast. Thank God. It's so <laughs> confirming because I don't research any of this stuff on purpose right. just so that I'm not, um, you know, biased or anything. And I don't search for the information. All the information comes from, you know, to me. And I only use subjects like Jen who don't have any previous knowledge about this stuff. I know you do. That's why I thought, because I've been out there and researching and touching stuff for a long time, wherever I can, I want to give you some validation because I know that's not what you do. So now you were saying there are a lot of secrets in there and we're not going to be able to get into all of it um, because we're going to move to some of the other things that showed up. But can you share a little bit about what she had to say? Well, um, you validated something that came through is that also that there's a lot of, um, technology and a lot of secrets about the energy that we're going to be using. And what is really interesting is I was working with a different subject and higher beings interrupted my session and said, this is confidential information. You're getting too close. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so shocked by that. I said, what do you mean? What's confidential? And they said, you're getting too close to the information about the energy that people will soon learn about that's that information is in the sphinx and so you know we'll share this with humanity later but humans are not ready for it yet <laughs> well fair enough that's my understanding whether it's in our lifetime or not doesn't matter we'll be back i'm patient um one of the other things they started showing jen or was coming through jen jen started sharing with you had to do with the divine feminine. Now, was this an aspect to the nature of the Sphinx itself or beyond that? Let's talk oh. a little bit about the face of the Sphinx moving into the divine feminine. Well, it was very symbolic when man or the masculine energy overtook the whole population. And one symbol that they used was they took the 
actual face of the Sphinx and they put a man's face on it. This was symbolic of the takeover in our society of the masculine overtaking the feminine. And there's been so many examples of this, even um, with Atlantis and Lemuria, where women were blamed for the civilization's downfall, which was never their fault. In fact, it was never that. It was just the imbalance of masculine and feminine. And so it's one of the it's one of the main themes that keeps coming through in QHHT sessions that the time is right to rebalance now. We're at a perfect place where we can rebalance. The divine feminine energy is everywhere, like a silent being just waiting to share its information and, and knowledge. But what I have heard is there is a second sphinx. And so there was a second sphinx that was sort of a feminine aspect to the Sphinx. And that crumbled symbolically with the suppression of the divine feminine. And I have heard through many subjects that this will reemerge soon, that pieces of it will reemerge as it's reemerging in our consciousness. That is really interesting. Um, I want to also comment on this, on the divine feminine. I interviewed Kayla Osterhoff recently, and she is a researcher into neurophysiology and neuropsychology and has been uh, privy to a lot of research on the gender differences in our brains. And so isn't it interesting, in the last year, I interviewed Barbara Nice, one of the real pioneers in this field, and now much younger, uh, Kayla Osterhoff, taking that work even further, stating that science is now confirmed, it's you can look at it on MRIs, that women um, have natural leadership capabilities. Our, bra our brains are wired for looking at consequence, what's going to affect the whole. And um, we happen to be the natural leaders. And yes. so now that it's being validated scientifically, it makes what you're saying so much more important. Well, this was the case back in ancient Lemuria and most of the prehistoric civilizations, because women were the knowledge keepers and they were so valuable as leaders. They were the leaders in these ancient societies because they knew which plants would kill you and which plants were beneficial to you. And that was such sacred, important knowledge. And they also knew how to compassionately lead their people. And they could subconsciously, almost like an instinct, pass this knowledge down to their daughters. So that is one of the reasons why women have been the natural leaders. And it makes that's so interesting that that's been proven scientifically. Well, what has actually been proven, which is interesting, is that the feminine brain is wired to detect consequence. So it uh -huh. doesn't look as any, at anything separated out from the constituents around it. You don't just decide, I want to have that. I'm going to go get it. I'll do what I have to, to get it, which has been our paradigm for thousands of years, taking over right. one another's land and people and so forth. It doesn't, that's, that is not how it's wired. It's wired to look at the whole picture and say, is this wise? What do we need? Will it serve all? That is the feminine brain. So it should be sitting at the table. Every board table in the world, even though those are constructed around male paradigm thinking, should have women at the center of the table. No doubt about it. So anyway, I find that part absolutely fascinating. So let's go on now to the... Um, to the ET story itself, because this is really big in, in hers, in understanding mm -hmm. that 
ET, quote, ET beings, hybridization and so forth is really at the basis of our species. So let's talk about that a little bit more. It was so fascinating because as I was, um, you know, going through these sessions with Jen and she was deep under hypnosis, when she remembered going through the electric shock therapy and then the lobotomy, there were no limits to her mind. So in those memories, I could find out anything. And one of the really interesting memories that she was able to tap into was her other lifetimes on other planets as an extraterrestrial. And it was so fascinating because it really gave extraterrestrials like a consciousness. You know, so many times you hear about UFOs or you hear about extraterrestrials, but to actually hear their memories was really fascinating to me. And so one of the things that I thought was really interesting was she was planning on coming to earth on a mission, but she had no idea about what it was like to be on earth. She didn't know what walking was like or eating. And it was so foreign to her. They had to take classes to get used to it. And it was really interesting the way they grew up on this planet. And just like we can see the moon from her planet, she could see a red planet and a blue planet. And she would hear stories about the different planets. And she didn't grow up as in um, a uh, with a natural birth. Back on her planet, it was um, they were created, and that's how the process goes after you evolve to a certain point. But it was really fascinating to get these memories from this person who, first of all, I knew knew nothing about this beforehand. Yes. Please go ahead and tell us more about some of the other people, because this isn't just coming through Jen anymore. This book is also taking into account some of the other people that you have uh, regressed. And let's talk about some other people's memories of having come from someplace else to earth to get a fresh perspective of what it's like to arrive here, because we've, most of us have been here so long, we don't remember. Well, I had this one woman and I thought I love using people that have no uh, previous knowledge about any of this. This woman came in for a session because she had severe allergies and she had tried everything, all the regular medical things you can do, try to help her allergies. She was on all different kinds of stuff. This was a person that knew nothing about Dolores Cannon or extraterrestrials or anything like that. This was she told me she had six grandchildren and she was just busy and wanted to heal her allergies. So when I put her under hypnosis, she regressed to a past lifetime as an extraterrestrial crash landing on earth for the very first time. And she realized that she had developed an allergy. She didn't know that the environment was going to be so harsh and so difficult for her on earth. She had no you know, knowledge again of like walking and eating. It was so confusing. She had her basic training, but she was so miserable with the allergies. And eventually she passed and, and, and when she realized where her allergies originated, she realized that she didn't need them anymore in this current life. And they were completely gone. They vanished and she was very happy. But the thing was, these are her memories of being an extraterrestrial. And if her memories of being an extraterrestrial are so powerful that she can heal her allergies, what does that mean about extraterrestrials? I think it means that we are extraterrestrials. <laughs> That's fascinating. She must, well, I'll ask you, was she just absolutely shocked at where she ended up? 
I was a little shocked too because, <laughs> you know, normally higher selves don't take a person to that type of memory if they're so new to this sometimes, you know, because she was so new to this. I was a little surprised that she went all the way to an extraterrestrial lifetime. But yes, she was very shocked. She was surprised. And she definitely had a different outlook on extraterrestrials after that. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. So let me ask you this, Sarah, since we last got back together, because so much of what's in Egypt was derived from Atlantis. And we did our last story on Jen's remembrances in Atlantis. And if you haven't seen it, go back here in the archives. You can see, just go back through the thumbnails of Sarah's face previously. And that's what we're going to be talking about is Atlantis, hypnotist guide to Atlantis. So let's kind of do some knocked on work from there. Many people saw that interview um, and started calling you. I know people have told me they called you and they've, they've done sessions with you. And I'd like to know what kind of confirming or new information came out um, on Atlantis from this new batch of people you've been uh, hypnotizing? Well, you know, one thing that is very interesting is that after some of the survivors that fled Atlantis um, came to Egypt, there were a lot of survivors that had um, side effects from the vaccine in Atlantis. The um, vaccine caused some side effects, which created some animal children, and they had very special abilities. And I think what's so interesting is that oftentimes we forget about these abilities because of uh, these um, disabilities, and we call them disabilities, but really their abilities. A lot of these survivors that had these disabilities had these amazing abilities and they were able to create things through and tap into the ley lines, tap into crystals. They could move things with their mind because of the side effect. It created this huge ability within their mind. And I've learned so much more about that. And even in our own society, when it comes to disabilities, there's, I know it, I don't want to minimize disabilities, but a lot of times there's an actual ability that comes from these side effects. Absolutely. And um, I, Susie Miller, who I interviewed years ago on Gaia, talked about the gift that comes with autism. Now, it's interesting because autism is happening in such even more prevalence than when I talked to her about nine years ago um, for a variety of reasons. But she talked about the gift of what's going on inside the beings that aren't really meshing with society as we as we know it. But one thing you just brought up that I find fascinating I remember this from your book and our conversation that some of the animal people were actually feline. Mm -hmm. And what you, what Jen said was the original face of the pyramid was feline. The original uh, face of the Sphinx. Was, I mean, it's not that. Yeah. It was, it was feline. I misspoke mm -hmm. of the Sphinx was feline. So nice. what do you make of that? I know that's a really interesting. Well, what I heard was that the face of the Sphinx was 
a jungle cat, like a feline, because it was the apex predator. And so it was meant to um, create questioning in the minds of people that saw it. And there were other um, statues like the Sphinx, and they were created as the apex predator as well. But when the uh, hybrids or the people that came to Egypt that did have feline um, attributes, they created a lot of cat symbols in ancient Egypt. And I'm sure you can still see those cat symbols today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There are deities and entities, I mean, that look like cats. Well, so. these people were revered as gods because yes. they were part of uh, cat-like and, and they had continued. special abilities. Yeah, that continued, that continued into Egypt. So mm -hmm. anyway, that's that I just want to bring that up because that came up in the last one. I was just kind of putting some pieces together there. Um, so these these beings were like gods and were venerated. So that's interesting that that's come up from other people that these uh, disabilities were actually abilities. And I think that's a good message for now. Um, another thing that came up is the notion of ascension, which means a thousand different things to a thousand different people. Let's go with what came through Jen and then the collective about ascension in these times. So basically what came through Jen was that there are two choices of ascension that you choose before you come into this lifetime or any lifetime. One is you stay on this planet earth and you continue your ascension here and you move and change your vibration to live in a more harmonious earth. The other choice of ascension is to leave your earthly body at the end when you're done your physical reality and move to a different planet on a different world basically that we are seeding because we're always seeding another planet there always has to be a backup planet and so uh, some people are going there and some people are going to staying here but one thing that i thought was really interesting about this other new world is that a lot of us used to live there um, in a previous incarnation some people call it the home planet but it had to die it had to almost like a field has to lay fallow I think I'm saying that right. Um, it had to regenerate until, and we had also had to go to a different planet to raise our vibrations to go back to the original home planet. So there are some people that feel it in their DNA and their blood, and they feel like they're missing their home. And some people have found that their actual home is this new planet that they will go back to. But one really interesting thing is that I've had. I believe I've had four clients that have been women that have been postmenopausal coming for a session because they felt pregnant and they didn't understand why they felt pregnant. They went to the doctor, they ran some tests and there was no sign of a fetus. So it didn't make any sense that they felt pregnant yet. They came in for a session because they knew that there was some sort of a pregnancy and what their higher self told them was that yes, they're indeed pregnant, but they're seeding a different planet. And that this is a very special gift that they've been given to be part of this process. And they also have the choice to possibly inhabit these bodies when they do go to the other earth. So essentially they would be creating and giving birth to themselves. <laughs> that's again okay that's interesting that's that takes it even a step further than incarnating on earth into your bloodline you know down <laughs> yeah. the road well again some more validation i'll say that 
um, many, many years ago, talking with my beings, they said, understand that things will be changing on your planet. And it's as a result of the beings there that will be dividing now and will be moving into another planet that has been made available. And they said, the people that will be staying, and this, is, this was interesting with this earth, the earth we're on, she is raising her frequencies. And you have to be willing to do what's necessary to be able to refine the frequencies, to be able to continue incarnating on this particular version of earth. And it's, mm -hmm. a, you know, whatever that means, each way we can do it, but that that is not a big deal in that another earth is already prepared and is already receiving souls incarnating into those bodies. And the net effect would be that Earth itself would refine itself to kind of Earth um, 2.0 and that there would be gentler, more like-minded a way of relating to one another and relating to the Earth itself. It would just be a bumped up, kinder version, more inclusive version of what we have now if we stay on this planet, which is magnificent. But there's opportunity not only on the other Earth that's been created, but um, also to go to another planet. It's all about frequencies. If your frequencies match, you can get into a completely different planet and try that on for size. See what, see what that one is like. So I just wanted to say that again by way of any validation that my personal knowledge or experience can give to you on that. So It's amazing to talk to you. It's so much validation. <laughs> Well, that's, and it's amazing to talk to you because it's fresh. It's not coming from a red point of view or an experiential point of view. It's just coming through virgins, so to speak. What's so. really interesting is there are so many planets. There are so many earth planets. There's so many different frequencies, parallel universes. Yes. But what I've heard is that this earth planet is on a trajectory Right now, it's being bathed in a light, in like this high frequency light, helping everybody that wants to raise their vibration. It doesn't take much to raise your vibration. All you really need to do is just to accept it. And if you want a shortcut, just go outside and be in nature. And really, it's all around. If you want to feel the vibrations that the earth is being bathed in, just put your feet on the ground and just allow yourself to absorb it. But we're on this trajectory of planets, of Earth planets. And these planets on this trajectory raise their consciousness, almost like a ladder. Like we are here and we're going here and then we will go here and we will go here. So really, Earth has no choice. We are ascending. We are on that trajectory. And it's pretty easy if you want to stay with the Earth just to accept this frequency that's coming in all around and just use it to your advantage to raise your own frequency. Absolutely. And as we're shooting this, the, the, and I hope this doesn't push any buttons for anybody. I, it shouldn't, but we're right now um, in the phase of uh, the COVID two years in Omicron. Okay. Uh, kind of everybody's getting it. It's just everyone you talk to, Oh yeah, my daughter had it. My mother had it. It's just sort of everywhere. And essentially it's, a common cold. But what when I tapped into it and looked into it, what I saw, uh, and my husband saw something very similar when he separately tapped into it, is that there was this amazing amount of help from Earth's elementals, from the elemental kingdom to take this and to democratize it, to take it, mutate it out like 
30 phases, whatever they say it was, into something that's not really going to hurt many people, if any. I mean, a few people are hurt, but with underlying conditions, but mostly something very minor, like a head cold that reaches most of the population. So we could take all the darkness and the fight and the conflict about opposing ideas out of the subject. So this brings me to trying to refine ourselves in the midst of uh, deliberately perpetuated darkness of messaging and conflict. Anything you have to say or have seen about that from ancient times or now? Well, if you just look at ancient times or even now, chaos is so beneficial. Negativity helps growth and we each play different roles. So sometimes you see something as negative or a negative person, but really this is just a light being undercover who decided to play this role now just to help the collective, to help the people around that negative person. Yes. And um, Jen, when she was, when you were doing the regressions with her, they said, this is all about fear. It's always yes. been all about fear. And really the largest part of ascension is to learn to move beyond fear. And exactly. we're all being given that test right now with quote, the virus that's right. marauding around the world, having fun uh, as posted. <laughs> right. Right. Because when we came to see this planet, we weren't supposed to invite this virus, this fear virus. It somehow snuck in on one of the ships, Jen said. Um, I know Dolores said that she found that it came on an asteroid, but it, it got here. And this earth wasn't supposed to have that fear virus. So part of our ascension is essentially releasing a layer of fear. So the more you can release fear, the better, you know, you can ascend. <laughs> And that takes us back kind of full circle. Um, we're not getting to all the points in the book, obviously. There's so much more, but we'll encourage people to pick up a copy and delve into it themselves. But one of the things that Jen said is part of the message that's being delivered through the pyramid, through the Sphinx, I keep saying pyramid, through the Sphinx is the is an energy that helps us actually go back to our natural state and rid ourselves of fear. Talk about that for a little bit. Oh, yes. I mean, there's so much in the Sphinx and you can even channel the Sphinx. You can channel that consciousness and use it to get messages. Um, you know, that is what we're trying to do. We're trying to release this fear from ourselves. And there's so many ways to do it. But one is to connect with the energy in the Sphinx and allow that to help you release this fear. Did she say anything about the, the nature of the way that it's working with us at all? Or just oh, all we have to do is consciously do, dial in? What did she say about that? All we have to do is just consciously dial in. I even had a client under hypnosis channel the Sphinx, and it was very easy for her to do. Oh, talk about that. That was really fascinating because so this client was, um, was uh, communicating with the Sphinx and realized that she could just channel the Sphinx. So of course I had a lot of questions for the Sphinx and I asked a whole bunch of questions like, who are you? And the Sphinx's answer was essentially, I'm you because we're all one, it's a consciousness. It's like a universal consciousness. And it, it is very delighted to be on the earth at this time, helping us through this ascension process. And it's interesting because this information that we can't 
really get to yet that's under the Sphinx is waiting for us to reach a certain level when we can accept that information. And then we're actually going to be able to go into the Sphinx to be able to all know this information at that point. Well, I will say about, I think it's been about three or four years now when I spoke at a conference in Sedona, Robert Dakota's conference um, on uh, ancient wisdom. I can't remember the name of it right now, but one of the other speakers was Robert Schock, uh, who is an archeologist who has been to the Sphinx and is the one that's featured in all the documentaries about um, the notion that the Sphinx is far older than the Egyptian government um, states, which is you know still around the 5,000 year range. He's saying, no, it's at least 12, 13,000. Well, we know now it's probably much, much older than that. And he even privately stated that the pyramid, the Great Pyramid, uh, in his own mind, just looking at it initially, privately, he said that that looks closer to 100,000 years old, but he would certainly not go on uh, record as saying that because more has to be done. So these are very ancient, ancient structures that have been holding this for so long until this time when we can mature enough to be able to use what's underneath it wisely. And he had asked me about three or four years ago at that time, would I join his party and document them going into underneath one of the paws of the Sphinx? Of course, many people have done this. He was in contact with everyone and always gets shut down or they're just ignored in the end, or they can't get the funding. It never happens. So what you said is right on. There's a reason nobody can get under that paw and the Egyptians are protecting it with their lives. Because there are, there is some physical proof and yes. they would find some uh, extraterrestrial technology there. And I don't know how they would be able to explain that. Makes sense. So Jen, um, Jen, Sarah, I'm mixing you and Jen together into one being now. So Sarah, um, tell us, because we've gotten to little bits of the book, some of the really kind of overarching theme and the most beautiful message about being an earthling at this time in our history. Give us a flavor of first, the beauty and the opportunity in being an earthling. We all know the challenges. And then um, the overarching message of the book. Well, I mean, from speaking to these higher beings that come through my clients, they always say the same things that it's so amazing to be on earth because on their planet, it's blissful always. And they only can use thought to create things. But here it's this 3D game where you're physically incarnated, where you can really experience things. And it's so beautiful to be a human and get all these collective memories and get all this um, experience because that's what we do. That's why we travel from planets to planet to get this experience is so valuable. And it's almost like a badge of honor if you go to earth and you complete, you know, a lifetime on earth, you can say, Oh, I completed a lifetime on earth. And people think you're really cool, because it's so difficult. <laughs> I think throughout the whole book, the overall message was just that we're very, very helped. I mean, I use clients that did not know each other at all. They had never met, they never read any of these books before. And the message was the same that we're being helped, that earth is ascending, that everything is right on track and we're being helped so much. And all we have to do is ask if we wanna feel this help. Um, 
And I think the message that always seems to come through so many clients with many different voices is just to understand why we're here and that we really are extraterrestrials <laughs> coming for this experience to share it with the collective and to help one another. Beautifully said. Well, until we meet again, um, I think you and I are going to continue this conversation over at Gaia in a separate interview in the next couple months time, meaning my shows are so far ahead. Nobody will see it probably until summer, no, till fall of next year. So I wanted yeah. to get in and do it now on this site. Um, so we could get people kind of on board exploring this subject with you. Sarah, thank you so much. As always, you're just so beautiful and articulate in your expression. You just exude a type of, a type of innocence and grace that makes you the perfect person to be bringing this work forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody. Um, again, the title of the book is A Hypnosis Journey to the Secrets of the Sphinx. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on ReginaMeredith.com.